Welcome to Healthy Conversations, an eHealthSpace.org podcast. In this episode, we catch up with Dr. Andrew Wilson, Group Executive, Strategy and Innovation at Medibank. Dr. Wilson spoke with eHealthSpace.org editor Mark Jones about telehealth, the PCAHR and Medibank strategy. Andrew Wilson, thanks for joining us today on Healthy Conversations podcast. Pleasure. Now, I was actually looking at your background and it includes work as a psychiatrist and also an entrepreneur in telehealth. So my first reaction was that seems like an odd combination of two different fields. Can you connect the dots for me? Well, I'll try. I'm not sure they're connectable. Psychiatry or mental health more broadly is an interesting discipline in that or area in healthcare in that probably has had more, if you like, virtual kind of components, particularly the telephone used in it for many, many years compared with most other areas of medicine. So yeah, I did train, obviously post-medicine, trained as a psychiatrist and then worked mainly in the public sector. And that's really where I got interested in, in sort of telehealth because more than, again, more than most areas of, of healthcare, access to the right advice at the right time, particularly in mental health, is, is to say the least, generally pretty poor. So if you're a consumer and you've got a concern around your mental health or a relative's mental or a friend's mental health, it's very hard to find the right advice. So that's really what got us started down that track and then, you know, kind of grew from there. And obviously telehealth services predate the internet. This has been going on for quite some time in concept and obviously in different ways that it's been organised. How do you think telehealth has had to change in light of the internet? I don't think it's changed a great deal to date. I think, I mean, healthcare traditionally lags behind other kind of you know, industries in terms of adoption of new technologies and I don't think the internet's any exception to that. I mean, if you look at how the internet's really now embedded, you know, in terms of e-commerce and business processes in banking, you know, financial services, retail, et cetera. I mean, you look at healthcare, it just isn't the same. So I think that's going to change pretty rapidly over the next few years. Telehealth has still largely remained in most countries phone-based with some largely point-to-point video-based care. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hasn't really embraced the sort of the internet and the, the, the opportunities that provides really, although that's coming, I think, pretty, pretty, pretty rapidly. Because obviously one of the things on the patient side is that clearly people are coming with more information. It's very easy to get some potentially false diagnosis from the internet and then having to respond accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you talk to clinicians, that's very much now de rigueur as part of their practice that patients are coming along armed with information or misinformation, which I personally think is a good thing. I mean, I think whether it's information or misinformation, it creates a conversation, which I think is a richer conversation than patients have typically had with their healthcare professionals in days gone by. So I think as long as the information is there to be actually discussed, I think that's a good thing. But I mean, the concept of trusted sources in of information healthcare, clearly we've got a long way to go. And I think that's a great opportunity. I think the thing is, though, where we need to go is not just information, but then also, in a sense, have where to from there for patients. I mean, information is one thing. What you do with that information, what it means, much more of a focus on self-management, I think, really is the way of the future. I mean, mm. we're not going to have the number of health professionals nor the dollars to have everything managed by a human-to-human interaction. Increasingly, I think automation will allow patients to be more sophisticated in the kind of care they can dial up themselves. Mm. And that's actually an interesting point more broadly that the healthcare sector is trying to push 
more of the the care towards community level interaction, isn't it? And away from the big hospitals, that's been a, a profound change. How, how do you see that working out? Oh, look, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a logical step. I mean, hospitals really are still still obviously going to have their place, but I think the levels of care provided need to be much more sophisticated. I mean, for a lot of healthcare now, hospital versus home or, you know, there's not a lot of levels in between in terms of the kind of care you can access. I think the real, you know, revolution in healthcare will though will become with with self-directed care so that, you know, a lot of healthcare is actually not that complex and can be broken down into a series of business rules and steps. And whilst that's not going to replace the need for, you know, face-to-face consultation, physical exam, et cetera, I think an increasing amount of healthcare will be able to be provided with a much lighter touch and so technology will actually allow patients to be much more sophisticated sort of super user of their own healthcare system if you like. And how do you think that's going to change life on the ground for GPs in a, in a day-to-day sense? Uh, I think it should make their life easier and more varied and more interesting. I mean the, currently the, the, you know, the, the, the world of primary care is, is still very process driven, it's transactional people come in and you you know there's a there's a window of transaction and then people move on and often it's a it's pretty data poor results aren't to hand there's lack of collateral information it, it's hard yakka to sort of piece the, the the puzzle together particularly for more complex patients so i think having a more easy to access data rich environment should make you know primary care more varied and interesting i mean the whole nature of primary care is probably going to change and become more varied probably there'll be more disciplines involved in primary care than just GPs and, and again I think that's that's a good thing but you know that it is going to be there's going to be change for sure I think in the next few years and to that point what role do you see some of these technologies playing in the the collaboration sense there's there's a sense that I get that for example using the GP model that you can use some of these online technologies or whether it's telehealth or or other services, video conferencing, to um, bring in somebody to a conversation at the at that time. That it's changing the dynamic of how we see an interaction with a with a doctor. Yeah, I think if you actually map out the processes involved in going for a, for a patient or for com- for a consumer, if you like, going from you know a a healthcare problem to actually reaching a solution, it's a complex and tortured path often, and and it's not really it doesn't follow the consumer. It's designed around the, the, the health professional. You know, you have to go to your GP, you get a referral, you then make an appointment to see somebody else. And by the way, you have to go and get some results. Then you go and see somebody else, typically a specialist, they order more tests. So it's like a pinball machine. And if you, you know, and sometimes people get a good outcome, sometimes they don't. So I think the technology allows for a much more patient-centered model of care where you can actually bring other people together and data together in a way that suits suits the patient. I mean, it's a bit like in a banking analogy, if you went into a bank and said, look, um, you know, I need a home loan, and they say, sorry, in this bank we don't do home loans, we only do withdrawals, you've got to go to a bank five kilometres away to do that. I think we'd pretty quickly change banks <laughs> if that's yeah, the case. Know. But that's what happens in healthcare today, really. Maybe that's why people change doctors. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, and, and that that's quite possible. I mean, you know... I, and it's not because the health professionals want to practice in that way. I mean, it's really the, the, the way the system's been designed is it doesn't take into account, I guess, changes in the way society works, the whole sort of consumer movement, and, and the whole use of technology just hasn't been embraced as it can be as yet. Exactly right. One of the things that 
drives adoption of these technologies at the GP end also seems to be the the dollars side of thing, if you like, uh, the MBS schedule and, and so forth. Sure. What, what do you think will be the greatest drivers of change? Oh, no doubt. I think, you know, financial incentives will be a very big part of it. And the government's already moving to to do that. I think that's recognised. So I think that's definitely the case. And incentives like the money that's been put forward for people to connect with video technology is obviously a great start. I mean, that's what drove the desktop PC revolution in primary care. I mean, Australia's got a huge penetration of PCs in primary care compared to many other countries. And that's really because I think they're incented to do it. So I think that's one thing. But the other thing I think will be, there's, you know, there's clearly a change in the way GPs want to practice. The days of the sort of Dr. Kildare or, you know, the GP, the country GP being available 24-7 have largely gone. And I think people, lifestyle and the way people work, uh, people have got a different needs in, in the 21st century. So I think that will also drive things. A lot of younger doctors also coming through are clearly obviously much more used to having technology embedded in, in the way they live their lives. And they would, I think they're going to adopt new technologies and embed them in their work practice a lot more readily. Now to Medibank, and let's talk about your organisation for a moment. You're going through quite a strategic change at the moment. Can you explain that for us? Yeah, it's, it's a very exciting change for Medibank. I mean, it's gone from in 2008 having 20 healthcare professionals to having more than 1,500 today, which is a pretty amazing change. It's acquired four health services businesses, which have now been integrated into a health solutions division that provides services to a range of customers, including our own members, but also to government and corporates. Uh, it turns over more than $300 million a year. It's a large organisation. So that's a fundamental change in the DNA of the company, having that kind of level of clinical resource. And what we're doing is really increasingly trying to apply that clinical know-how and service excellence to provide a better health and customer experience for our members. So we'll be launching some services in the near future, initially in a couple of states and then nationally, that will really start to bring that to bear in terms of the kind of health experience we can offer our members. It is a pretty radical change. The, the Medibank's purpose is now to be for better health, and we're really committed to trying to make a difference to the healthcare, not only for our members, but to the... Uh, community at large. And what's driven it from the, the commercial perspective, the insurance business versus the health services? How are you seeing those two working together? Look, the biggest driver is probably a belief that there are fundamental forces at work in healthcare that means that the status quo is not sustainable. I mean, we've just, we just released our um, annual results, which shows last year was the best year ever for Medibank financially. We've turned over more than $5 billion. We've made profits of $428 million or, or thereabouts. So in a sense, it'd be very easy to say, look, things are going swimmingly. Let's not do anything different. And so it's slightly counterintuitive, but I guess it's because of that we believe that uh, we've got the opportunity to actually make some significant changes to the organisation to sort of future-proof it. And that really means making investments in, you know, really changing to becoming a healthcare company, a health assurance company rather than a health insurance company. That's what's really driving the change. And speaking of investments, HealthBook is, is one of the initiatives that you've been involved in. Uh, give us a sense of, as we get closer towards the July deadline for the um, open access, if you like, to the PCEHR, 
Um, give us a sense of, of how you're working towards that and uh, some of the changes you're seeing there. Well, it's a pretty significant project. I mean, it's significant for us and it's obviously significant for the um, Department of Health and NIDA who are driving the national agenda for the personally controlled electronic health record. I mean, we've got a major project in place in terms of from an IT perspective, but also from a customer experience perspective to make the Medibank Health Book, which is sort of our version or of our members' view into the electronic health record world as good as it can be. I mean, we are going to start modestly. The plan is to, in the first phase of implementation when we go live, to make the health book available for members who are currently enrolled in our chronic disease management programs, and we're targeting to get several thousand of those enrolled. And the reason for picking those is because we believe they're the people potentially with the greatest gain to be made in terms of better access to their healthcare information. And we already have a very active conversation going on with them around their health. So the more information that can be made available to them, the better. But from there on, we, we're very keen to obviously make this a fundamental part of the way initially our members get access to their healthcare within the Medibank world, but then also from other health providers, and then you know the, the plan is to make it available beyond that, depending also obviously on how the whole national uh, rollout occurs. How are you going to make sure that the integration between uh, the health book and, and the other systems that are out there, um, because we have this, if you like, a, a federated system of uh, e-health records, how are you going to make sure that that all works together? Well, I mean, that is one area where, where there are very, very clear guidelines around how the systems like the health book are going to get built. So one of the decision points for us was do we kind of build, if you like, a Medibank health book with little reference or no reference to what's going on elsewhere in the country or do we really enter into the sort of collaboration with the PCEHR world through Doha and NIDA? And, and obviously, uh, when you start to think that through, it, it makes little sense to do it in isolation. So we're very much partnering with the health department in terms of going on the, the EHR journey. So it absolutely is being built to the appropriate standards. That's good, good news. Good to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're pretty silly not to. Well, I obviously, think, that's so. not, it's not the question of whether the standards will be there, but uh, clearly you've got the innovation in your title and uh, there's got to be some very interesting ways that we can make sure that um, the, the interconnects between all of these systems work in an efficient way. Well, that's right. I mean, you can ask me again in a year if we've managed to achieve any, any innovation, but no, <laughs> I mean, joining the dots around the information that's available out there. I mean, as, as you alluded to before, there's an enormous amount of information, both externally, but also in relation to you know, people's touch points in the, in the healthcare system. And we know that that has an enormous impact in terms of adverse events, near misses. So the, the sort of safety record of the healthcare industry is incredibly poor when you compare it with other industries. The airline industry, obviously, is the one that comes to mind. And it's because there's just a lack of data. That's the fundamental root cause for most critical incidents. So I think we can make a really big difference just on that point if we get this right. Yeah, collecting the data and making sure that the right people can see it. That's true. And and that's not without its challenges. And I think there's, a, there's an active debate, obviously, around uh, is the current schema that's out there in terms of how that works with the national agenda? Will that drive the outcomes we want? I think only time will tell. I mean, you... I guess our view is, look, you've got to start somewhere. Uh, I don't think anybody expects that 
what's being done now is 100% right. Uh, it'll need tweaking and it may well be that some of the rules and kind of consents that are currently being proposed need to be tweaked once we get into actually live operations. But I think that's just a normal, you know, normal course of events. Yeah. So what it seems to be that you might be suggesting there is that we move towards some form of opted in, if you like, where you're opted in in certain areas. Uh, because obviously the, the bottom line is is saving people's lives. You need to have access to the sort of information that will help you get someone better, particularly in an emergency room. And if they've said, you can't have access to my medical record, well, the doctors have got their hands behind their backs, don't they? That's correct. And I think that's the kind of real-life situation that will get played out as we move forward you know, into the EHR world because those are very real issues. And I, and I think, you know, as I said, I think there's an active debate about to what extent the current business rules around access and, and consent are going to work in those kind of situations. But, you know, I think that's just, that's a good debate to have. And, and I think those kind of situations, scenarios will be tested out through the pilot, you know, early phases. And I think inevitably there'll be changes made. Okay. Well, Andrew Wilson, thank you very much for joining us on Healthy Conversations podcast. It's been great to catch up with you. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for joining us on Healthy Conversations. Check us out on the web where you can also join the conversation or leave a comment on today's show. You'll find us at ehealthspace.org slash multimedia or search for eHealthSpace on the iTunes store.